verses 7 to 13 today under the title, Welcome One Another. This is sermon number four of four in Romans 14.1 to the end of this text, a section in which Paul, Romans 14 and 15, is calling Christians to love one another, but especially on the subject of strong and weak with regard to religious practices, and especially to those strong in the church, those strong in their conscience in the church with regard to religious practice toward the, toward the weak. Uh, lots of words for the strong toward the weak. In that sense, it is a continuation of Romans 12 and 13, which were also practical instruction on what Christian love looks like in this world. The issue in chapters 14 and 15, as it says in verse 2 of 14, is that, quote, one person believes he may eat anything while the weak person eats only vegetables. And in addition, there was issues with uh, religious observance and uh, special days. In other words, some Christians believe it is wrong for them to eat certain things or not observe certain special days, and others believe it is right for them to eat those things and that they're free from observing certain special days. And the question is, when there are religious differences in the body, how do you love each other in that situation? When Christian freedom and the conscience come into play in practical religious matters, how do you reconcile with one another? Paul's discussion of these matters continued then into chapter 15 and through our verses this morning, and he's drawing this section to a close, and even really uh, the entire letter, at least the main body of it. There's a bunch of goodbyes and future plans yet in front of us, but the main body, the doctrinal body, and then the practical instructions are now drawing to an end. Our verses sum up some of the great themes of the letter as a whole. Throughout the letter, the relationship between Jews and Gentiles has been a major concern of Paul. And now he calls on both to accept one another for the glory of God. Love for one another is mandated because thereby God is glorified. And the great sin of Romans 1.21 is, is returned on its head in the body where God is in Romans 1.21, not thanked, not glorified. It's reversed in His church as a foretaste, unity and love in His people, expressed in worship of Him in the church as it will be fully forever. So no wonder He wants Jews and Gentiles to get along over meat and days and so forth. We welcome one another because we have been welcomed by Christ. All who believe made one people to the glory of God. Are you acting like it, Romans? Are you acting like it, First Baptist? That's what's at stake. Well, let's turn to um, Romans 15. I'd start in verse 1. I'll tell you when we're at seven, but first let's pray and ask the Lord's blessing on the reading, the proclaiming, and the consideration of His Word. Father, we come to You now asking for Your help, for strength to, to preach and for 
attention to listen and spiritual sensitivity to, to glean by your spirit, spiritual truth. Pray that for us here today. Pray that you'd guard us from error and that you'd bless your people now as we look to you, submitting to you and your word. These are the words of life. Where else would we turn? And so we turn here now and look to you in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, Romans 15, let's start at 1. The first six verses we covered last week, our text starts at 7. We who are strong have an obligation to bear with the failings of the weak and not to please ourselves. Let each of us please his neighbor for his good to build him up. For Christ did not please himself, but as it is written, The reproaches of those who reproached you fell on me. For whatever was written in former days was written for our instruction, that through endurance and through the encouragement of the Scriptures we might have hope. May the God of endurance and encouragement grant you to live in such harmony with one another in accord with Christ Jesus, that together you may with one voice glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Verse 7. Therefore, welcome one another as Christ has welcomed you for the glory of God. For I tell you that Christ became a servant to the circumcised to show God's truthfulness in order to confirm the promises given to the patriarchs and in order that the Gentiles might glorify God for His mercy as it is written. Therefore, I will praise you among the Gentiles and sing to your name. And again it is said, Rejoice, O Gentiles, with his people. And again, praise the Lord, all you Gentiles, and let all the peoples extol him. And again, Isaiah says, The root of Jesse will come, even he who arises to rule the Gentiles. In him will the Gentiles hope. May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing so that by the power of the Holy Spirit you may abound in hope. The holy and inerrant Word of God. Three points today as we work through it. Number one, just verse seven. Number one, just verse seven. One people, weak and strong, for the glory of God. One people, weak and strong, for the glory of God. So Paul begins to wrap up his discussion of the weak and the strong. In order to to bring this discussion to a close in verse 7, he returns to the theme he first established back in the beginning of chapter 12, namely that we should not think of ourselves more highly than we ought since we are all justified sinners. It reads again, verse 7, Therefore welcome one another as Christ has welcomed you for the glory of God. 
Paul has, throughout this section, chapter 14 and through here, um, been calling the strong to accept the person who was weak in faith and regarded certain things as unclean or unwise. They were bound in their conscience. They were wrong, but in their weakness, love them, prefer them, consider them better than yourselves, welcome them. Now, as he brings it in for a landing and at the very same time zooms way out, Paul exhorts all believers to accept each other because both weak and strong have been accepted by Christ. Both the weak and the strong, all Christians are united to Christ through faith. Both groups, all Christians, are in the present possession of the forgiveness of sins through the finished sacrifice of Christ. Both weak and strong, all Christians have been covered by the perfect righteousness of Jesus Christ. All Christians have been accepted by Christ and are therefore to realize that God has accepted them despite their sins, and so now they are to accept one another on that basis. The reason for this should be obvious to both strong and weak, to all Christians, The unity and common purpose between brothers and sisters in Christ with all their differences brings about the right praise of the true God in the formation of His one people. God is glorified when His people act like Christ in relation to one another. God is glorified when Christians put aside their differences over religious practices and learn to support one another praising God with a united mind and heart and voice. In zooming out like this, Paul has returned to the, if we may say, fundamental baseline of the gospel. Believers should accept one another because Christ accepted us despite our hostility to Him while we were yet sinners, remember, in order to bring glory to God. And since Christ accepted us despite our weakness and sin, Romans 5, then we too should accept one another. So what's going on here in the big picture as Paul zooms out and brings the whole body of this letter to a close? Well, what Paul is seeing, well, let me ask it as a question. What is Paul seeing in the threat toward disunity? and lack of love between likely Jewish Christians holding on to religious practices that in Christ they are free to leave behind, and Gentile Christians who know their freedom in Christ more fully, but who are tempted to look down upon the Jewish Christians. What's at threat here in this disunity? This really is about much more than meat and special days, and differences in religious practices, isn't it? It it is. All along, all of this section, this practical section about the weak and the strong loving one another, it's all part of a much, much bigger picture. And that takes us to our second point, verses 8 to 12. Jews and Gentiles all along. Jews and Gentiles all along. 
Well, verse 8 and the first part of verse 9 explain how Jesus accepted both Jews and Gentiles for the glory of God. It reads this way. Look there with me. For, so welcome one another as you have been welcomed by Christ, accepted in Christ for the glory of God. For, I tell you, verse 8, that Christ became a servant to the circumcised to show God's truthfulness in order to confirm the promises given to the patriarchs and in order that the Gentiles might glorify God for His mercy. So you have, you have the circumcised in verse 8. You have Gentiles in verse 9. Who's being referred to in verse 8? The circumcised. Well, that's the Jews, proven by the contrast with the Gentiles in, in verse 9. And knowing what we know, Jesus said, I, I come first to the Jews. Jesus came as a servant to the Jews, Paul says, to show God's truthfulness. In verse 9, and take it together again with the theme verse, verse 7 since the Gentiles become God's people, not on the basis of anything other than God's mercy, how can they now lord or flaunt their freedom over those who are weak, that is, those Jews who still had conscience issues regarding the dietary laws, special days, and religious ceremonies? People who claim to be saved by God's mercy, but who nevertheless think of themselves as superior to others or to even, even to everyone else, really do not understand very much about mercy at all, do they? And then together, all of verses 8 to 12 reveal that the inclusion of Jews and Gentiles together in the one people of God fulfills God's promises given to Abraham and to David. The quoted scriptures from the Old Testament here in our text from Psalms and Prophets, verses 9 to 12, demonstrate that the unity of Jews and Gentiles in God's people culminates in unified worship, in praising God together. And it's this very united praise which fulfills God's ultimate purpose, which is that His name would be honored and praised among all the peoples from every tribe and nation and tongue. So all of this practical instruction, all of this stuff about acting like Christians, all of this stuff about getting along in the church, none of it is ultimately an end in itself. This isn't merely about achieving some sort of kumbaya community, is it? And just loving people and doing good things. Though, though hopefully we will love one another and we will do good and godly things as Christians, certainly toward one another. And in terms of the Jews and Gentiles' language, this isn't merely about establishing sociological, horizontal peace between Jews and Gentiles, world peace or some such thing. The goal of Paul's mission, rather, and ultimately God's purpose, is to bring Jews and Gentiles together in fervent, heartfelt worship and praise of God from redeemed hearts and forever. The, the great goal, that is, 
as in verse 9, the beginning, and moving forward even clearer in the text, the glory of God. And that God might be glorified in all of His fullness amongst His people forever, having been saved by His grace through faith in His divine Son as applied and sustained by His Spirit. And this emphasis on praise and glorifying God provides the clue for the emphasis on hope, which is coming in verses 12 and 13. The theologian Tom Schreiner, quote, Human beings place their hope in what will bring them the greatest happiness in the future. That is, the supreme object of our hope is also the object of our praise and worship, end quote. Now, having said all of this, let's just add those Scripture quotations now, verses, well, the end of verse 9 through verse 12, which prove that this was the plan all along, Jews and Gentiles together glorifying God to the glory of God. Let's read those again, and I'll supply the, um, the, uh, the citations, which is no, no Herculean feat since they're in your margins, but... Uh, We'll do it anyways. As it is written, therefore I will praise you. So there, see, look, it's about worship among the Gentiles and sing to your name. That goes way back to 2 Samuel 22, Psalm 18, verse 10. And again, it is said in the scriptures in what we call the Old Testament rejoice, oh, it's worship. O Gentiles, with His people. Well, that goes way back. Deuteronomy 32, verse 11. And again, praise the Lord. There's, see, worship is the end. All you Gentiles, Psalm 117. And let all the peoples extol Him, worship Him. You see? Verse 12. And again Isaiah says, the root of Jesse, who's this? Well, we know. The root of Jesse will come. He has come. Even he who arises to rule the Gentiles. He's the light of the world. He's the light to the Gentiles. This is Isaiah 11. In Him will the Gentiles hope. Well, there are a number of things going on there. Obviously, each has its own context, and there's all sorts of things going on. But a couple things, well, for one thing, I've got two, but for one thing, since both weak and strong have been accepted in Christ, it's interesting that Paul now launches into a discussion of the, of the benefits both Jew and Gentile derive because God is faithful to the promises He made to the fathers, to Israel's patriarchs. But we see as soon as he starts doing it that those promises include the Gentiles. 
this abrupt change then from a discussion of strong and weak to the mention of Jew and Gentile can only mean one thing, affirm for us, that Paul regards Jews as more likely to be included in the category of the weak. We've discussed this all along. They could have been free from their conscience attachment to vegetarianism and, 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 and not taking in meat and the days and the special days and observances. And they were wrong. But they're weak. But they're still brothers. And in addition, Paul's use of the formula, as it is written, makes the point that in the Old Testament, God all along promised the inclusion of the Gentiles in His plan of redemption in such a way that both Jew and Gentiles now together give glory to God since they are both accepted in Christ Jesus. So one people of God through the one Savior, the one Messiah, the root of Jesse, Jesus Christ, and promised all along. It's clear when you look at the big picture then, zooming out as Paul does, that there is only one people of God throughout all of redemptive history. All those who have Abraham-like faith, as he writes in Galatians, all those who believe in Jesus, whether they be Jew or Gentile, weak or strong. It is the root of Jesse who will spring up and rule the nations as the Gentiles place their hope in him. The coming of the root of Jesse has done away with these things, and while the weak still cling to them, the time has come for the weak to become strong. This means that the Jews must accept the Gentiles and indeed learn the meaning of Christian freedom from them, and the Gentiles must accept the Jews and patiently guide them and teach them and love them and welcome them. Welcome one another, brothers and sisters, as Christ has welcomed you for the glory of God. This is all about glorifying God. Verse 12, again then, leading right into verse 13 in the closing of this section of Scripture, chapters 14 through 15, 13. Verse 12 again. And again, Isaiah says, The root of Jesse will come, even he who arises to rule the Gentiles, in him will the Gentiles hope. And that opens Paul's heart in benediction and doxology, worship, and our point three, which is just verse 13. We'll call it Christian hope. Point three, just verse 13, Christian hope. In verse 13, Paul concludes this line of argument by once again rising to what we may call a, yeah, a benediction, a prayer. But he, it's, it's an exhortation, too, as he's letting them in on, on what he's praying and what his, he, he hopes God will do in their midst. He's exhorting the Romans, then, by letting them know what he's praying for. Let's read 13. And this, this is a classic benediction, often read at the end of services and so forth. May the God of hope, remember we just had hope in verse 12, the last word. May the God of hope fill you, Christians, Jew and Gentile believers, 
with all joy and peace in believing in the Christ so that by the power of the Holy Spirit, so we have all the Trinity functioning in there, you may abound in hope. So hope is the connecting word. Verses 12 to 13 and towards the the, the last word of, of this whole section. Harmony, unity will exist between Jews and Gentiles in Christ when both groups hope in the root of Jesse. Now, it's clear in this verse and something you need to know that hope Christian hope cannot be produced by human beings. It cannot be created or worked up by what we have inside of ourselves merely. That's why in verse 13, Paul prays that the God of hope, that is the God who gives hope, that He will fill both Jews and Gentiles all believers, with all joy and peace in believing. In other words, joy and peace both stem from faith in Christ and are byproducts of believing in God's great promises, all of which is a gift from God who gives hope. This all produces hope. And Paul emphasizes again that hope is not produced by us. The source of such hope is Quote, by the power of the Holy Spirit. And remember the verse just before, verse 12, our hope comes from and is aimed at the God who has given the promise that we, the Gentiles, are included in the great salvation of God. The the root of Jesse rises to rule the Gentiles, and in him they will hope. In many ways, these few words at the end of this longer section not only summarize that practical section, 14.1 to 15.13, but also the letter then as a whole, and I think I've alluded to that a few times. So not only now have the Gentiles set their hope on Israel's God, the root of Jesse, we're now in that age, Gentiles are coming to Christ. And so Paul prays to the God of hope. Paul also petitions the Lord to fill the Roman Christians, both weak and strong, Jew and Gentile, with joy and peace in that saving faith he has granted, faith that looks to and depends upon Israel's Messiah, the light to the Gentiles, Jesus Christ. And since we are United to Christ through faith, Paul's prayer is that all the Roman Christians and all Christians would overflow with hope, hope which can come only through the power of the Holy Spirit, who indwells each and every Christian, granting faith, growing faith, sustaining faith, a looking to Christ alone, which grows hope, which we also know produces endurance. How does God keep all whom He gives, the Father gives to the Son. He sustains their faith, which produces hope. 
in God's promises, which produces endurance. And if we ask Paul in his letter to the Romans what it is that that we are hoping for, we're given a few clear answers. I'll just list them for you, three. Romans 5.2, we rejoice in hope of the glory of God. We glorify God, we worship God in Christ, but one day we will see Him, Christ, face to face. His glory shall be revealed. We shall see Christ. We shall be in the presence of the Father. We will see His glory on full display. Now we see in part. We rejoice in that hope. Second, Romans 8, 20 and 21, we hope for the new heavens and the new earth. It reads, The creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of Him who subjected it, in hope that the creation itself will be set free from its bondage to decay and obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. And so we walk an earth that creaks and cracks open and swallows whole and rages against us even. Even the animals fear and kill. Not forever, brothers and sisters, we hope, which for the Christian is a sure hope, a certain hope for the new heavens and the new earth. It's coming. Because he said. And the third thing we hope for that shapes what Christian hope is in Romans is we hope for new bodies with no pain and no death. Romans 8.23, quote, We who have the first fruits of the Spirit, who are born again, groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for the redemption of our bodies, for in this hope we were saved. So not only a new heaven and a new earth, but a new body with which to enjoy it for the glory of God forever. Do you ache? Do you limp? Are you suffering? Are you managing the decay while keeping uh, your smile on? Do you groan? Are you tired? Oh, we hope, like a sure hope, a certain hope for new bodies with no pain and no death to enjoy God and one another forever. Do you welcome each other now is sort of the point. So Paul is writing, isn't he, to help Christians live as Christians, as fruit or as the display that we are in fact those who by God's grace and through Jesus Christ abound in hope. In Him will the Gentiles hope. And eagerly anticipates the fullness of the revelation of the glory of God, the new heavens and new earth, the new bodies with no more crying or pain. So now, as Paul concludes the practical section of his letter, he, he ends up marveling at how God has done what he promised. And he's uniting 
Jews and Gentiles, weak and strong, together into one body through the saving work of Jesus Christ, who is the promised root of Jesse. The result of this fulfillment of prophecy is that God receives the glory as one body is formed from all the peoples of the earth, just as he said. Further, the Holy Spirit causes us to overflow with hope as we contemplate the glories to come. God gives us this hope. Paul prays that God will grow this hope in us, and therefore we can be assured that God will fulfill all of the promises made to us regarding the future. He is, in fact, the Lord of the past, the present, your very today, and the future. And He is the God of hope because in Jesus Christ He has kept His promises. And by the power of the Holy Spirit, He will assure us that He will fulfill all those promises which remain yet in the future. So all of that big zoomed out big biblical, theological, whole group of truths poured into why you should welcome one another, brothers and sisters, as Christ has welcomed you to the glory of God. Amen. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for sustaining the uh, consideration of it and the proclaiming of it and these great truths. We look to you now as we continue to welcome one another and serve one another. Would you give us a sense of growing love for one another, growing fruit as you grow Christians, as you grow the body? And as we eat, may we be reminded of how you feed us how you keep us and supply all of our needs. We thank you for the time to gather this weekly muscle memory, and we thank you. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.